Hey, Jenny. Hey, Matt. I am so friggin' excited. I'm excited, too. Do you want to tell the people what we're so excited about today? I do. Folks, we are going to be recording our first live recording of our podcast, Hey Adora, at freaking FlameCon 2022, the largest queer comic book con in the world. Live in New York City, bitches! Live in New York City! Ow! Next month, August 20th and 21st, in New York City at the Times Square Sheraton, Hey Adora will be doing our very first live show. We'll be performing Once Upon a Time in the Waste. A.K.A. Catra in a leather jacket. Yes! And Gina Davis. And Gina Davis. It's gonna be lit, It's gonna be lit! We are realizing one of our greatest dreams of doing our very first live show, and we cannot wait to see as many of your beautiful faces as possible. If you live anywhere within driving, flying, walking, or crawling distance of New York City, come, come gay scream with us, you guys. We would be so excited to hang out with you, have some Professor Smart Brain time. Get a Hey Adora sticker. Get a Hey Adora sticker. Gay scream. It's going to be fantastic. Um, I have had the pleasure of going to FlameCon before, and I have seen some unbelievable Shira cosplay, among other fun things. It's a really fun event, FlameCon. It's an affordable queer Comic-Con. Full weekend passes are only $50. Single day pass is $30. And if you are 21 or under, Sunday is free. That's awesome. How can you get tickets? It is amazing. You can get tickets at flamecon.org slash tickets. And because we only recently got this awesome news, we do not know yet which day we will be performing, but we will let you know, of course, as soon as we do know. And you can find out those updates on all of our socials, our Twitter, TikTok, Insta, and Facebook. And you can find us all, though, all there at HeyAdoraCast. Yeah! We're so excited to see you at FlameCon! Ah! Ah! Welcome back to Hey Adora. This is our part two of our light spinner episode we have our pals from witch bitch review osiris and phoenix joining us once again to gay scream about dark magic and all sorts Re- of magic regular magic and regular magic <laughs> and all sorts <laughs> all of the magic all of the magic and all sorts of fun things in between above around up and down as above so below join us now as we continue to talk about light spinner all the magics. All the magics. And then we flash back to Mysticore again, opening on another shot of those same three moons that we ended the last scene on, and now they're shown in full alignment in the skylight window at the top of the Lunarium Ooh, in Mysticore in this flashback. I wonder what that means. Seems like something is ready to happen. Yeah. Yeah, so we have Light Spinner speaking to the Guild of Sorcerers, urging them to take action against the Horde before it's too late. And the Guild of Sorcerers doing their part to play, I don't know, just any American governing agency. <laughs> we can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. The Guild of Sorcerers is a bunch of entitled centrist pricks. Yeah, and then we see that this is when the the Horde gets the Black Garnet. Yep. You know, oh no, it cannot be. Yes. You know. Yes. General gasping in horror. General gasping in horror. Brah, 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 brah. You know, we must must do this super duper, uh, you know, dangerous spell. This spell of, cast the spell of attainment and take the power for ourselves. As she says this line, the shot zooms in on the sorcerer's symbol 
from the sorcerer's badge reflected in in light spinner's pupils mm-hmm. like scrooge mcduck with dollar signs in his eyes <laughs> yeah. Like greed, yeah. magical power instead of financial wealth i have that as well the fire that the fire in her eyes it's like literally like there's a flicker of flame well it's the yeah. symbol and, from the sorcerer's and, badge yeah but i think one of the one of the things times that you see that there's a flicker of flame in her eyes as well yeah when she's talking about the spell of attainment uh there's the sorcerer's badge and then in the middle of it is a flicker of flames like she's mm. got the fire in her eyes for it yeah so she's yeah. she's greedy for power she is hungry for power so of course you know master norwin sorcerer supreme lets her know that maybe uh maybe we don't do that because it's you know forbidden and it leeches power, turns the caster into a magical parasite if it doesn't kill the caster outright. So it's it's an it's a it's dark magic. It's a bit of nasty business, it is. So here's where the scene goes like stupid for me. I mean not stupid, but I guess where the sorcerer's guild is stupid. Yeah. For me. Because so like Shadow Weaver's plan is like obviously like, you know shit so like master norwin goes from there and he's basically like you you know you could say like let's not do the spell of obtainment like probably soup's bad idea you might get sucked into a lovecraftian horror and get all cut up the face like could go bad ls but um from there he goes into this like so it's it's almost like because shadow weaver sucks and she's like just horny for power like you know we don't need to do anything about the horde issue because shadow weaver brought this to us so like whatever right right it's very all or nothing and the whole yeah and the whole guild is horrified with the images that she shows them and they're horrified by the idea that they have the black garnet but then as soon as master norwen basically tells them that shadow weaver is the sack of shit they're all like well you know what they're you know she does suck so let's fold our arms and not do anything about that whole horde thing right yeah it is kind of surprising that they're so all or nothing like that plan's bad therefore we will do nothing like there's no in between there's no middle ground there's no no alternate options like let's talk about some other options that might be safer and more realistic right right so shadow weaver bringing up this idea and them talking about this idea of one person taking on the power versus letting all of these people die right this kind of brought up uh, kind of tangentially and you'll see it in the moment the uh psychological and uh moral philosophical problem called the trolley problem so yes this Tell is, us about the trolley problem. So this is my this is my first big Professor Smart Brain moment that I took notes on and everything. The trolley problem is a, a series of thought experiments in ethics and psychology involving stylized ethical dilemmas of whether or not to sacrifice one person to save a large number. Right. So the question uh, of formulating a general principle that can account for differing judgments arises uh, arising in different variants of the story was raised in 1967 philosophy paper by Philippa Foote and dubbed the trolley problem by uh, Judith Jar- uh, Judith. Jarvis Thompson in 1976. So here is the most basic dilemma of the trolley problem, which is known as the bystander of the switch or switch goes. And some of you may recognize this from pop culture or in memes and uh, a couple of other places, which I will bring up. So the trolley problem goes like this. There is a runaway trolley barreling down the railroad tracks. Ahead on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. The trolley is heading straight for them. You are standing some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. If you pull this lever, the trolley will switch to a different set of tracks. However, you notice that there is one person on the side of the track, 
And you only have two options here. Do you do nothing, in which the, ca- the trolley will kill five people on the main track, or pull the lever, diverting the trolley on the side of the track where it kills one person? And so the question posed here is, what is the right thing to do? Right. So I have heard this before. Right. So that's called the trolley problem. So um, it's it's really it's really like prevalent in popular culture. It was used. There was an entire episode of The Good Place uh, about it called the trolley problem. Um, if you haven't seen The Good Place, it's phenomenal. It's I love the Good I Place. I love it. It's a it's a supernatural uh, sitcom about moral philosophy. And it's the best. I love it so much. And it much. has like the best actors. The best actors. The, the cast is actors. incredible. The writer, it's it's wonderful. So what Lightspinner is saying is that we can sacrifice one of us or us, the you know, whatever it takes on our end to then, you know, save the rest of Etheria from the horde. So the question, the moral question here that I want to pose is, and here's an interesting thing about the trolley problem. There have been studies about it, like psychological studies about it done for years and years. And this one is fun. So in 2001, Joshua Green and colleagues published the, re- uh, the results of the first significant empirical investigation of people's response to the trolley problems. So using functional magnetic resonance imaging, they demonstrated that personal dilemmas, like there are other versions of it, like pushing someone, like physically moving someone versus pulling, like pushing a button or pulling a lever, Mm -hmm. uh, preferentially engaged in the brain's regions associated with emotion, whereas impersonal dilemmas, like diverting the trolley, flipping a switch, pressing a button, preferentially engaged in regions associated with controlled reasoning. So on these grounds, they advocate for a dual process account of moral decision-making, right? So your brain literally, whether or not it is a personal or impersonal application of this particular uh, puzzle is completely different given your context, even if you believe that in an intellectual, you know, you can do a purely intellectual, like, understanding of it. So this shows that it is a contextual, this is a contextual choice. And numerous other studies have shown the trolley problem to study moral judgment and investigating topics like the role of influence of stress, emotional state, impression management, levels of anonymity, different types of brain damage, psychological arousal, all of these other factors, and how their response is to the trolley problem. So does light spinner's motivation negate the ethical framing of the question of the trolley problem? And how do we separate light spinner's, mo- like, motivations from the execution is her motivation of taking on power does that negate the right or wrongness of the action of taking on the horde i don't think that's a very black and white question because you don't know what she would really do or how it would really play out once she got the power well it's not it's it's not so black and white versus with the trolley conundrum you press the lever you know exactly what's going to happen okay yeah well, especially because her motivation, you know, there's the motivation that she presents to the group versus her true motivation, which we believe, at least we can't say we know, but we believe her motivation is more selfish than what she presents to the group. So if she actually, if they agreed and she actually went through with it, we don't really know how it would play we out. We don't know how it would play out. But you never, like, you never do actually know the outcome right. of these things, right? Like, right. nothing right. is promised in this. I just don't believe that she would have been able to relinquish that power once she had gotten it. If she had taken the power for herself, right. 
she would not have been a force for good with that power. Okay. She would never, she would always have been dangerous with that power. Okay. If she had ever held that power. Interesting. Herself. Okay. I would never be able to trust her with that power. I'm going to have to side with Jenny, especially if we're talking about Shadow Weaver's story arc as a whole, mm-hmm. where the situation, let's say the situation in Heart Part 2 is the parallel mm-hmm. to this. Right. Yep. Because the what happens in Heart Part 2 can only happen because of her quote unquote growth. Obviously, Shadow Weaver is never really a redeemable right. person. Right. Exactly. But she does grow regardless so if the situation that happens in heart part two is the result of her growth then that means that what's going on in light spinner has to be the beginning point the opposite of that in which case no she's not to be trusted she's not selfless exactly i agree with that so is the so but there's also like the deeply moral choice of staying neutral in the face of adversity that we have from the you know that we have from the sorcerers guild too like I think that they should have continued discussing other options that's what I think mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. because we can see like I mean what are we supposed to believe this is like 20 30 years ago less 15. I think maybe 15 well, Adora's a baby, and she's like 18-ish in the present. Well, that's that's the end of the episode. But let's consider that Micah is like 13 in the flashback, and in the that's future, right. he's like 45. Right. So I'm going to say this was like 30 years ago. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So we see that the Sorcerer's Guild continues to do nothing about the Horde for 30 years, and that mantle just literally gets passed on to cast a spell who still ain't doing shit. Right. They seem to believe that they don't have the power. And that the only way that they could have it would be by doing this thing that would destroy them and turn them into, you know, another evil thing themselves. You know, if the only way you could defeat a monster is by becoming a monster, then you're not really helping. But you're defeating a monster. But then you're becoming (laughs) another monster that then you would become the problem. That depends on the person's moral compass, though, I think, because if we think about a film like 30 Days of Night, Mm -hmm. the main protagonist in that movie does become a vampire to defeat the vampires and then kills himself because he knows he'll be a danger. What? I have not seen that movie, but that's why. Oh, yeah. That's that's what happens. It is an amazing movie. That's impressive. It is very good. It's a vampire movie that takes place in Alaska when it's dark for a month. Ooh. Wow. This sounds incredible. I love that. Yeah, imagine like a zombie apocalypse movie, but it's vampires in Alaska at night. I like yeah. that. Sounds I like that so way more. I like that way more. I'm gonna watch that. Yeah, but 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 that's true. That does depend on like you know, do you actually become the monster if you can retain that part of yourself? Right. Do you trust yourself to retain your kernel of humanity? We certainly don't trust Light Spinner slash Shadow Weaver. Exactly. Right. So the guild is very black and white. They do not explore alternative ideas. They just turn her down. And Lightspinner has a Karen tantrum and tells them they're all blind Mm. and she storms out. Very strong, you'll rue the day vibes. Rue this day, rue! (laughs) And actually, I have a note here that the animation at this point, now that she's becoming more more of a a character who is very much in opposition to everyone else and, you know, Mm -hmm. ruing the day... Um, her skin tone has shifted to a much darker gray. Hmm, problematic. Mm-mm. Anyway, so the meeting adjourns. Uh, Lightspinner storms out. Micah follows after her to find out what happened. Mm-hmm. And she gives him her twisted version about how she tried to save Etheria. Right. But they won't let her, basically. Right. And Micah, of course, is sympathetic to how she's framing it because he trusts her. Mm-hmm. And this is her perfect opportunity to prey on young Micah's trust and talent. Mm -hmm. If you really want to help Etheria, there is another way. Mm -hmm. 
And my last note for that scene is, oh noes, what are you going to make this poor sweet child do, you evil power sucker? Mm. I hate it. It's gross. Can I circle back for a second, though? Mm-hmm. Of course. We we skipped a little something that I think is important to the episode, but also sure, that I sure. want that I want to talk about in the in the meeting with the Sorcerers Guild. Light Spinner says they need to do the spell of obtainment now because the three moons of enchantment are in yes, alignment. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Um. So that you know that adds like an urgency to what she wants to do, but mm-hmm. also the 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 three moons of enchantment. I I love that little of enchantment. Yeah. part because there's how many moons but these three in particular are the enchantment moons oh i love that yeah <laughs> but the the three moons are lining up at both periods yes. in the storyline in the present and in the flashback and that's it it's like the glue that cements the parallel storylines together that's right and i doing that with planets is just like so magical and astrological mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. i love it mm-hmm. but um I wanted to talk about the idea that her magic will be stronger when the moons are in alignment. Yeah, Because that is a popular fantasy trope and also something that connects to real witchcraft. Yay! So, super fun. So, um, Phoenix, what do you think about magical timing? I think it's stupid. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) Um, I do, however, work with the faces of the moon to interpret what type of magic will be most successful. Hmm. So, you know, there's a a common ideology that when the moon is waxing, that's to draw things forth. When it's waning, that's when you banish. And I will use that to interpret how I go about achieving a goal, but I will never alter what my goal is. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's not a Tuesday when Mercury is in Gatorade and, you know, <laughs> O'Brien's taking his belt off. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Do you know, funny story, when I was very young, I wrote a short story about Orion, the constellation, like having to fall from the heavens because of one of his belt stars went out or whatever. And then he arrived in front of me and his pants fell off. And that was sexy. Mm-hmm. Of course you did. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of thing that 11-year-old me was super into. Um, That's adorable. That is really cute and like super. Yeah. That's my gayest moment. I was, I, I yes. was a little gay witch, you guys. Um. So as far, as far as magical timing goes for me, it's not a huge part of my practice. I do celebrate the Sabbaths, but that's more just because they're fun as opposed to them being like particular days of power for me. I do work with the sun a lot as well. But as far as magical timing as a general rule, I don't pay attention to it. I'm not. Look, I can't keep time. I'm gay. Okay. Yeah. Like that's right. Real. Like we could set up our magical time, but we'd still be late for it. Mm-hmm. So I brought up the phrase magical timing because a bunch of things fall into that. Magical timing is the idea that like it's best or better or more powerful or whatever to cast a spell or do a working during a specific time based on a couple of things. Um, the main things that go into that are astrology, mythology, and numerology. Um, so the the astrological component would be similar to the idea of Shadow Weaver can do this spell, should be more powerful when the moons are in alignment. There is definitely a culture of people out there, of occultists of all kinds, who pay attention to the position of the planets um, in relation mm-hmm. to the Earth and the constellations, for sure. And, like, if... Um, a certain planet is in a certain sign. They might think of that as a good 
like omen for a certain spell. A lot of witches who celebrate full moon espot rituals will do different things depending on what zodiac sign the moon is in Mm -hmm. when it's full or do things differently. So for example, if it's like a full moon and the moon is in Aries, that would be a good time to start a new project. If the moon is full and it's in Pisces, that would be a good time to focus on like dreaming and reflection and divination, that sort of thing. Um, And people will also, like, compare the position of the planets to their own astrological birth charts to, like, see what is, like, a good, um, what we would call a transit for them. There's all kinds of ways that you can look at the position of the planets in reference to spell work and what is best, what's more powerful, etc. So this concept is, it's pretty realistic, quite frankly. They didn't really need to change anything for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. For me as a witch, I'm just remarkably disinterested in space. (laughs) (laughs) So I have, I guess, cognitive dissonance about it because I I don't like being told when I can or can't do something, even if it is by fucking Jupiter. (laughs) (laughs) At the same time, I am a space nerd. I'm such a space nerd. I love astronomy. I love astrology. I find both of them fascinating. So I guess I like the concept, but don't practice it. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And I'm kind of on the opposite end of that. I'm more into the practice than the theory. I just want to do it. I want to do magic all the time, everywhere. And you know, I think that's why Phoenix and I are a great balance for talking about it. Makes sense. Shall we move on to Shadow Weaver's prison cell? No, we're, we we shan't because that entire scene uh, also triggered another Professor Smart Brain moment. And this is one that I'm very excited about. Fantastic. And okay. this is Professor Smartbrain talking about the devil. This is the Lucifer. This is Professor moment. Smartbrain talking about the Lightbringer Lucifer and the parallel between the Light Spinner and the Lightbringer. Here at WBR, we love the devil. Phoenix, do you want to sing your little song? Yes. Uh, do you have a my devil song? Satan baby song. <laughs> sing <Yes. it. laughs> Let's talk about Satan baby. Let's talk about the devil and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things he made me. Let's talk about Satan. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Yay. So that was fun. I did a crazy deep dive into well, not the first time, but I did a a nice dive into kind of the historical context of what built Lucifer, specifically Lucifer mm-hmm. today. And I got off on all sorts of tangents, and this is kind of like my boiled down. So first off, I'm putting this out here right now. I am talking about the modern Western common, uh, mostly pop understanding of the devil. The devil, which comes Mm -hmm. from a combination of stories from the Bible, uh, the Jewish Bible and the New Testament, and multiple translations of the texts. Early Christian church interpretations, Dante the inferno, the right? Inferno. You know, right? Uh, As in inferno. Mi- yes. Yeah, Milton, Paradise Lost, right? Goethe for Faust. Depictions of Pan and Poseidon, the horned goat, you know, and then the trident. Also, understandings of alchemy, which brings in Baphomet, which if you have ever watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch or have ever used a tarot deck, or are familiar with the work of the TST, the Satanic Temple, they use Baphomet as a symbol of the devil. Baphomet is not the devil. That's a whole other fucking thing. It's wild. But we're going to focus on Lucifer, particularly. 
Mm-hmm. So Lucifer is one of various figures in folklore associated with the planet Venus. Once again, we're kind of bringing in planet stuff. The entire mm-hmm. uh, the entity's name was subsequently absorbed into Christianity as a name for the devil, which we're going to get to because it has Thomas Aquinas. I'm sorry about the Thomas Aquinas guys. Oh, not with the Thomas yeah, Aquinas. There's no sorry, Thomas, Buffy reference. No, I, there's no Thomas Aquinas at this table. <laughs> Uh, so modern scholarship generally translate the terms in the relevant Bible passage, and we have it as Isaiah fourteen twelve, uh, where the ancient Greek figure's name was historically used as Morning Star or the Shining One. The Shining One. That's the only direct translation from the original Hebrew. That, is the Shining. That one. is correct. That is correct. And many things that we understand about the Morning Star and the Lightbringer and stuff come from uh, consequent translations from both the Latin and the Greek. Um, and they get kind of absorbed into the Septuagint, which is kind of the basis for a, a lot of Bibles right now. And Bible history is wild. If you are bi- a biblical literalist and you're reading an English version of the Bible, you're not reading anything. It's been translated so many times. Right. You're you're reading a you're reading a a, a telephone. You're reading a, the end of a game of telephone. Basically, yeah, I mean, I could debunk really... I could debunk the anti-homosexuality thing with that argument oh. in like three steps. Oh yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so the motif of the heavenly being striving for the highest seat in the heaven, only to be cast down the underworld, has actually its understandings in the origins of the motions of the planet Venus. Oh yeah. And it's something that kind of goes throughout um, kind of Middle Eastern understandings of Venus, right? Which I think is cool. Yeah, this seems like a cross-cultural archetypal It's a cross-cultural kind of archetypal of Venus as something that like, you know, that like, f- uh, it's the morning star, right? It comes up right before the morning and it falls when the sun, when the light comes up. So like, that's a oh, big, mm-hmm. see that metaphor big, And there. that's why we literally have it as the light bringer, because it brings, it, it, it's a herald. It is a herald of the light, but when the light is shown on it, it falls. Mm, that's deep. Right. So it's cool, right? So the fallen angel, uh, the idea of the fallen angel was kind of familiar through the Book of the Watchers, which is comes from the apocryphal text of the Book of Enoch, which y'all should look up. Can we define the word apocryphal? So the apocrypha are books that were written in the same place in the same time period as the books of the Bible and were originally all compiled with the books that we know as the Bible. But this, was it literally like the Council of the Apocrypha, I think they were called, that like got together and they basically kicked a bunch of books out of the Bible and then compiled what they deemed appropriate and left over into what we now think of as the Bible. Right. Well, because the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible are not the same. Are not the same. And this is also something that is, uh, and so I'm using apocryphal in, not the literal sense of of the Council of Apocrypha, but rather in the like the figurative sense of it. It's not generally understood to be a major text that is important to the liturgy of the religions. Okay, so that's where we're at with that. All of this stuff comes ultimately from this one line in Isaiah fourteen twelve, uh-huh. which is from the Hebrew Bible. So the canonical Hebrew Bible is the Tanakh, which is the Torah. And the Haftorah. Mm-hmm. And the Haftorah is made up of two books, Nevi'im and Ketuvim, which are can be known as writings and prophets, you know, those things that are not, you know, the canonical Old Testament. Right. And so this is from the prophets, mm-hmm. which is Isaiah. Yep. And it's just a tiny throwaway line. Yep. O shining one, son of dawn, Halel ben Shachar. Yep. And the note in JPS Tanakh, and in the same way that the King James Bible is like the standard Christian Bible for the English-speaking world, 
JPS Tanakh, JPS is Jewish Publication Society. That's like the standard Jewish Bible for the English speaking word world. So the little footnote there for O Shining One, Son of Dawn, is a character in some lost myth. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no devil. No. There's no further, like, it's just a lost story. It has nothing to do with nothing. Absolutely. In Judaism. It doesn't. And sometimes I think of Christian stories that are wildly embellished stuff from the Jewish Bible, I think of as, like, fan fiction. Well, I mean, the Christian <laughs> devil, and for all intents and purposes, is like a tulpa servitor kind of a deal. It's something that they put so much thought power into that, that they've it made, made it a real. thing for themselves. Yep. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. And it's fine. I just, I don't want anyone thinking that this concept has roots in Judaism. Real In the same way that Christianity has roots in Judaism, it's like they took something and they invented their own ideas around it. That's, well, that's... all there is. That's all there is to it in the, in the ultimate Jewish root. Oh, and one last thing, sorry, that the word... Hillel, which is oh, shining one, which is gets translated ultimately to morning star, shares a root. Every Jewish, every Hebrew word has a three-letter mm-hmm. root. Shares the root with the word Hallel and Hillel, which means praise and glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like hallelujah. Yeah. yeah. Praise oh. God. I don't want to sound defamatory, but Christians steal stuff and make shit up all the time. Yeah, I mean, that is... That is the MO for Christianity. That's how that they folded I mean, all of European do. paganism into, that's how they conquered Europe. Yeah. Easter, totally stolen. Of like, course. Christmas is, trees. Yeah, totally yeah. stolen. I mean, yeah, the basic like cornerstones of their practice are what you would call Christian fan fiction. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's fine. I'm glad that I don't have to reconcile it for myself. Um, I just wanted to sort of, se- I wanted to distance Judaism from this conversation as much as possible <laughs> and just gives the solid facts as they are. Jenny crushes it. And I appreciate that. Back to you, Matt. Yeah. Well, no, I wasn't. I, I, what I was saying was this, the, the, the components that go into Satan and the components that go into Satan as, as Lucifer um, are completely constructed within these particular metaphors and frameworks that we also see in light spinner. So we see the, um, we first we see like the the very you know the light bringer light spinner thing it's kind of an obvious like parallel and then we have the you know the the war against heaven right so we have lights light light spinner as a light as a you know in the war against heaven metaphor we have one cast out we have her as the fallen angel of lucifer so that's all <laughs> that's what i got i mean you've established a clear parallel which i honestly would not have thought of it on my own at all yeah no totally yeah so we're at shadow weaver's cell and we have catra coming storming in saying pack your bags mm-hmm. you're going to beast island mm-hmm. grumble 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 i'm mad and get shadow right. weaver yeah. zero response zero response and catra's like oh yeah you don't you don't have anything haha <laughs> that's right you don't have anything and then you know, Shadow Weaver doesn't care, pulling a total fucking power move, right? That's like a total power move, right? When somebody's antagonizing right. you, you just don't right. respond, and that just makes them matter and matter. Well, she just says when. Yeah, exactly. And it's totally flat, too. It's not like, mm-hmm. right? She's just like, when? And then Catra loses it and mm-hmm. like is like, why don't you care? It's a death sentence. You know, you need to give me a reason. And is like literally like begging, right? Like yeah. Like, please, like, just give me something. Give me something, and you need to give me a reason good enough to convince Hordak you're worth keeping right. around. 
And Shadow Weaver says, I've given everything I have to the Horde. And, and Catra kind of reflects something that, you know, she's heard from Shadow Weaver her whole life, which is you really are useless. You get what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she starts to walk away. And then we get get some master manipulation from the Weaver of Shadows. Yep. Where she's, take pity on an old, powerless woman. I know my, ugh, I can't even read I through know. this because it makes me so mad because it's- I know, it's, it's so awful. It's such, like, it's classic abuser techniques and it's just like, mm-hmm. ah, I, like, I was having such a fucking hard time watching this. I was like, I can't, I, I can't. Do you want me to finish reading yeah, it? Yeah, go, go, yeah. Okay. She says, take pity on an old, powerless woman. I know my days here are numbered. I want to see my old Sorcerer's Guild badge one last time. Because we all know how sentimental Shadow yeah, Weaver exactly. is, right? exactly, like... It must be among my things. Bring it to me. It's the last thing I'll ever ask of you. I really wanted her to use the phrase personal affects there because that just seems like the type of like high drama that she would do. She's like, bring me my personal affects. I need. Yes, yes. So she casts the trap. Yep. And Katra says, you don't get to ask things of me anymore. And she walks out and the force field raises behind yep. her. The Shadow Weaver just leans her head back. And treats us to another memory. Right. And so in the interest of time, let's go right back to Mysticor. No more tangents. <laughs> We're back in the Lunarium at night. We see another opening shot of the three aligned moons under the skylight. And Light Spinner and Micah walk in. Mm-hmm. And they go to the, the sacred the sacred scrying basin. Mm-hmm. The the vaginal cauldron. The vaginal cauldron. And the vaginal cauldron in the moon chamber. Under under the gay moons in, <laughs> in ga- perfect gay alignment. That might actually be a gayest moment. Yeah. 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 I think that's a gayest moment. I think we can go Absolutely. with that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We're, 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 we're scrounging for gay here, but I think we can pick it up. Sure. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. So, so Light Spinner tells Micah, the spell of attainment is difficult. So they're really doing yeah. it now. You must stay focused. Once we begin casting, we cannot stop. And Micah's nervous, but he goes he goes in. Also, mm-hmm. he's named after, like, Micah. I just picked that up. Like, as we keep saying it, it's like, oh, it's like the stuff that, like, grows on the side of the shiny stuff that grows on rocks, Micah. That's right. But it's also a Hebrew name. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's also the shiny stuff that grows on rocks. Like the glittery stuff that they keep crushing up and using in their spells. I mean, dude named his kid Glimmer. That's so, true. you know. Anyway, so Micah says nervously, are you sure about this? Light Spinner is very sure. She says, we need this power. It's the only way to protect our people. And we say, is it really? Because you didn't explore any other options. Yeah. She just really wants to do that spell. Yeah, she really wants to do the spell. Pure will. They start to do the thing. Light Spinner tells them to do exactly as they practice. Cool magical things start to happen. A huge diamond of light appears above them. Micah is delighted at first. And then it starts to get dark when a big purple blob appears in the center and forms itself into a multitude of grasping hands, which all push out against the edges of this magical diamond containing it while harsh, creepy voices whisper indecipherably. It's so grotesque. It's grotesque is a good word for what that is. And then to add to it, suddenly it has this angelic number of eyeballs. Yes, I wrote, be not afraid of that too. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, So Micah now is getting very nervous. Light Spinner tells him to hold steady and don't stop. And the diamond thingy explodes and the purple mass of hands turns black and goopy with all of the creepy, the creepy monstrous angelic eyes. And the black hands start to reach out and grab at Micah. And after he wriggles out of their grasp a few times, 
Micah decides that this is not okay. He yells, this isn't right. And he runs away because he is listening to his instincts. I have the, I keep thinking of Willow and Doppelgangland. The, I believe these chicken's feet are mine. Like, (laughs) 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 I definitely brought that up. That was some sort of hell dimension, right? Like, did you try looking inside the sofa in hell? In hell? (laughs) Like, that's exactly what that was. Yes. So, so Micah trusts his instincts and he runs away because he sees what is happening. Light Spinner gets gobbled up by the big dark thing that she has conjured and there's a big explosion and Micah sees her back by the scrying bowl. She's groaning in pain. She's surrounded by a cloud of dark magic and he tries to run back to help her, but he gets knocked back by a dark magic force field Right into the arms of Master Norwin. And now we see Light Spinner. I mean, maybe now we can start to call her Shadow Weaver because now she's been transformed. Mm. We see Shadow Weaver's face all scarred up with new dark magic eyes. Mm -hmm. And now her pupils are the same as the dark magic eyes that they conjured. Oh, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that either. I didn't catch that either. Yeah. Yeah. And so Light Spinner blames Micah or Shadow Weaver. She blames Micah for betraying her. She says the spell was working. And he says the spell was evil. So fucked up. And Norwin says, you've always hungered after power. Bringing you into our ranks was a grave mistake. Hmm. And now Shadow Weaver says the only mistake was seeking the approval of a fool like you. Actually, Siren, do you want to say this line? Do you have it? I would love to. I'm pretty sure I already know what you want. (laughs) Let's hear it. Line reading. You're all weak. None of you deserve my help. (laughs) Was that the one? Yeah, yeah, that was much. it. Yeah, this is some villain shit. We're down into like the we're down into the villain shit. Not the like yeah. the, the like overt villain shit because we had the like we had the like oh she's pretty evil but you know whatever she's she likes to fight the horde she likes kids but now we're- yeah we've seen some red flags yeah. but it's not the here's same. the thing about Shadow Weaver for me I I know that I. I know that we objectively hate her, but she has so many good lines. Oh yeah. And she, she looks so cool. She does. She's an incredible villain. <laughs> and she has one of the best actors in this show. Like, And she's fucking Lorraine. Lorraine Toussaint. Lorraine Toussaint, yeah. She crushes this yeah. role. The thing is that I love Shadow Weaver. Fair. <laughs> and I just kind of have to bracket off that she's like a horrible abuser for like all the time. But I love Shadow Weaver. She's an incredibly compelling villain. Yeah, she is. She is. And I love that the villain, like not the antagonists of this, but the villains of this, of the show are different manifestations of abusers of power. Yeah. They are. And yet they, Shira avoids the pitfall of dehumanizing its villains. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because every single one of them is related. Except for Horde Prime. Except for Horde Prime because he is irredeemable. I would say... Mm-hmm. No, he's no. Th- just because he's irredeemable doesn't mean he's not human, though. No, like, he's Horde Prime. He's not. He's human. specifically supposed to not be. He's the only one who's not. He he. You know, he can't exist in a human paradigm. He he takes over the. He manufactures bodies and and takes them over to preserve his own life through generations. I mean, I would say that Horde Prime is basically anthropomorphized fascism. Yes. Yes. But at the same time, I think you really see in his final moments his human weakness. Like the fear that drives it all. He is driven by his fear of death. That I do see. That I understand. Yes. Fear of death, fear of loss of control. Yeah. Those are human emotions. Yes, but I think the fact that he is like a human personification of fascism 
is the reason why he is the only one that can't be redeemed because that's not really a person. Oh, and you I know, never like, meant to suggest he could be redeemed. Right. Only that he is, he yes. has moments of being understandable and relatable. He's not a caricature of just pure evil. Right, right. That's yeah, because no one on the show is a caricature of pure evil. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the real strengths of the show is that every character is relatable and human. Mm-hmm. And so Norwin and his two helpers and Light Spinner, they all run at each other and attack each other with magic. Mm-hmm. And Light Spinner slash Shadow Weaver immediately kills them all. And she sucks Norwin into a hole of black magic. So does she take him? I, does she take him in? Because then, like the black magic, like goes to her. And since it's a spell of at- obtainment, right? It's not really clear. Right. Did she kill him or did she send him somewhere? Right. So I thought originally that she sent him somewhere because it looks like she just like sends him into a portal to a dark dimension. It's probably one of the most disturbing images on this show. Yeah. Is this scene right here, for sure. Like, when I first saw that, I was like, that's kind of not for kids. But it appears like she's sending him into some horror dimension. But then Meth is correct that what looks like the portal actually acts more like energy and then goes into Shadow Weaver. So I think because Master Norwin is a sorcerer, she literally just absorbed Absorbed every bit of magic from him yes just his whole everything yeah so then if that's true then i would think that he probably is dead if she like absorbed him oh for sure she destroyed him utterly on a subatomic level yeah exactly and as for the other two sorcerers we don't really see see what happened to them well so i again i paid special attention to that this last watch through too she blasts them with the same energy they were blasting at her and then they just sort of fly out of the frame Mm -hmm. But at the end of the scene, Micah is alone in the room, which right. means oh, either shit. it's that's right, it's it's shoddy animation, or she also utterly destroyed right. them. I think she utterly destroyed. I think them. she also yeah. Utterly, yeah, terrifying. So she she just straight up killed three people. Yeah, yes, in front of little in Micah. front of Micah, and so she says, "The spell worked. I am stronger than all of you." And then her voice gets deeper and raspier as she grows bigger and she is towering over Micah with tendrils of dark magic streaming out of her, which is how we have seen her before mm-hmm. in the Fright Zone when she's dealing often with Katra and, and Adora. I do want to point out that this so this is the first time we see her doing this sort of giant looming thing and she, yes, she has done it with Katra and Kat, both Katra and Adora, but the first time I think we see it in the Fright Zone is when she does this with Katra and the, the parallels of of Micah, of Micah and Adora and Catra here are obvious, but also we only see her do this to children. Yes. We also could tie this back to our discussion of illusion and glamour magic. The whole using a spell to appear more intimidating mm-hmm. is another application mm-hmm. of that kind of work. But I think she really is. Like, sh- this is not an illusion. This is real power. Well, I mean, yeah, she is just, like, physically yeah. imposing. Like, she was, because like... Because she, she's using these dark magic tentacles to reach out and grab Micah. She, you know, with sh- multiple mm-hmm. dark magic tendrils reach out and grab him and hold him captive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he tries to defend himself for, like, a second with magic, but she knocks it out, like, instantly. Ugh. is is, uh (laughs) you know micah begs for his life he says light spinner please don't and there is this terrifying shot of her her new scary face with the scars and the dark magic pupils and the floaty dark magic hair and her hand as she reaches out 
in this attacking, grasping way. And the shot is the POV as if the viewer is Micah. Mm -hmm. So she's like reaching towards you, the viewer. And it's this absolutely terrifying shot. Yeah. And as the shot shifts to Micah's face, we see him close his eyes and like he's braced for an attack. And then at the last second, she's reaching out to, you know, to grasp him and attack him. And instead she caresses his cheek. Ah, she does the, the shadow weaver cheek caress of narcissistic yeah. like, parenthood. Like a mom. Uh, yeah. She's the worst. And then there's one last extreme close up on her face looking conflicted. And then she lets him go and disappears in a cloud of dark magic. Dark magic. And then we transition to the Fright Zone exterior. Still the same night. Three moons are still in alignment. Yep. We're still in the same time. So, And some guards are out there chilling, lounging. Nothing much interesting happening. She shows up and she like absorbs one of the... Yeah, and then she just straight up kills another person. Yeah. yeah. Before she does anything... She, you know, she appears out of the shadows. The electricity flickers right. as she approaches out of the shadows. It's, I mean, that's an entrance, right? Like, she, yeah, her hair is moving through the air like snakes. Coolest hair. Like Medusa. She's got cool hair. You know, she's doing the floaty yep. thing. She doesn't walk anymore. She floats. Yep. Which is how we see her when we're introduced to her in the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we now see her. And she's now in her Shadow Weaver costume, finally. But without the mask, her face is covered in creepy bandages. We just see her one visible eye glowing red. I want to roll back to something you just said really quickly. We see her walking when she's Light Spinner. But when she becomes Shadow Weaver, she loses her grounding. Mm. Yes, that's well put. I like that. One of the guards tries to stop her and she immediately kills them. And the other guard gives up. Yep. He's like, fuck this. Yep, not here to die. And Shadow Weaver, and now she has a new scary voice. She's put her voice through the dark magic filter. Tell Hordak there is someone here who can help take him to victory. And then we go to a new scene. Same Fright Zone exterior, but with the three aligned moons. Mm -hmm. Three aligned moons, but we're back in the present. Catcher arrives at Shadow Weaver's cell. She says, so have you come up with anything to save your skin? Shadow Weaver says, you know I have Which is a lie. Which is a total lie. Of course, everything she says to Catcher is a mm. lie. Catcher drops a food tray at Shadow Weaver's feet. An apparent pleasure at this power dynamic. Shadow Weaver says, why do you insist on delivering my meals yourself? Surely you have more important things to do. Catcher says, I guess I just like seeing you in shackles. I mean, that's fair, right? I think that is certainly one reason. And Shadow Weaver says, we both know that's not the only reason. As we're like, shut up, Shadow Weaver. Shut up. Just shut up. What do you want from me, Catra? Here is where it just gets really difficult. Yeah, it gets rough. This is all I have to say about this part. I'm just going to make noises. Ah. I know. And this is where, like, you know, part of me gets really frustrated because I want to be like, why are you trusting her, Catra? Why are you trusting her with any amount of emotional vulnerability? And even though I'm asking the question, I'm also answering. And it's like, you know why. Yeah, exactly. Because we have all gone through this ring around the rosy yeah. where, you know, you you trust someone who's let you down over and over and over because you want to believe yep. that this time they're really going to change. This time they really they really do care. See, they're showing how much they yeah. care. They really do care. Right. So Katra finally gives in and she says, why? <sighs> and pause, sigh, vulnerability. Why did you treat me the way you did? Mm. Why was I never good enough? Really, I want to know. And Shadow Weaver says, because you remind me of myself. You always have. Nothing was ever easy for me either. I wasn't born to power like a Dora or 
others. I had to earn my power, fight for it. Why should it be any different for you? Okay, so like, is this true? Is this like... We have no idea because we've never seen Shadow Weaver's childhood. Right, but no, like even like, is she speaking her own truth? We have no idea. Because I feel like it's one of those things where there's definitely a grain of truth there, but also like it's total abuser tactic too. There could be a grain of truth there, but it's obviously total manipulation. It's total manipulation tactic. Like you and I are alike, you see, you know, like that sort of like. Do you know what it reminded me of is the end of one of my favorite movies, The Devil Wears Prada. (laughs) Um, Meryl Streep says to Anne, the truth is I see a great deal of myself in you. But for um, Anne Hathaway's character, that is the breaking point where she's like, fuck this, I quit this job, I'm out. Yeah. Um, and that's like the climax of the movie. But it did. I felt like these two scenes were very similar mm, mm-hmm. here. And it's almost the exact same line, which is probably the main reason. But in the context of that film, it was almost like the Miranda Priestley character is trying to justify the way that she treats people. Right. To like say, like, I'm I'm doing this for your benefit. And here's this ultimate compliment. I see myself in right. you. Total narcissist move. Which is, yeah. is, to, is narcissism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Katra actually verbalizes some really healthy things mm-hmm. here for herself. Yeah. She says, I was a child when you took me in. What could I possibly have done to deserve the way you treated me? And, you know, she shows some really vulnerable body language. She sinks to her knees, sitting in front of Shadow Weaver. She says, I am nothing like you. You're old, bitter, and weak. And Shadow Weaver says, ah, but you are like me. And just like me, you're losing your position with Hordak. I can see that even from myself. So once again, is this like one of those, did she actually know this? Or is this one of those things that she was saying in order to prompt Katra to tell her the truth? I think that she genuinely has picked up Uh on this. But again, she's just using it for her own manipulative purposes. She's never not playing exactly, the game. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, her whole, everything in life is a game of chess to Shadow Absolutely, Weaver. yep. Well, I think given that Shadow Weaver was in the same position Catra is now, she doesn't have to assume that people are nervous about their position with Hordak because he's just kind of a dick to everybody. That's yeah. true. So it's like a blanket statement yeah, you could you just, could just say. say it. That's yeah. true. That's probably, it's probably always yeah. like a gamble that you could right. take and be right most of the exactly, time. Exactly, yeah. Anyway, Catra says you don't know what you're talking about. Shadow Weaver says you're being pushed out. Katra says, I am not. It's just Entrapped understands all that tech stuff. And then she gasps mm-hmm. and glances back at Shadow Weaver like she just realized she said more than she meant to. She let her guard down more than she meant to. Yep. You know, she didn't mean to let herself get this moment. Right, yeah. And that's when Shadow Weaver holds out her hand to Katra and says, come here. Ah. Like, really like a mom. And Katra glances at her and then slowly extends one foot and draws herself closer with this mm. most perfect body language of like, I'm not sure about this and I'm still trying to protect myself while also taking this chance and letting myself be vulnerable. Like that conflict, that cognitive dissonance is really pronounced in that body language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it, it just gets so much worse. Shadow Weaver reaches out, reaches out and begins to caress Catra's hair. Uh-huh. I really don't have any more comments other than, like, noises of pain. Yeah, yeah. And Katra freezes up a little and looks surprised and uncomfortable, but she allows it. Yeah. Yeah, and my next note is, this is so not okay, in all caps, bold, underlined. I have, I have, ah, no, 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 no. Manipulation is her whole thing. Sweet baby Katra. Yeah, this is all... 
Oh, uh, it's just so it's, awful. Uh, I'm mad that Couch was letting it happen. But like, I think, you know, I'm mad because it's relatable because like we've all been yeah. there. Yeah, definitely. You know, in different relationships Absolutely. with, you know, in different situations where it's like, y- you want to believe that this person who has let you down or abused you over and over is really changing and it's really going to be different this time. And you have to... You know, you have to let yourself be vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to be open to the possibility of change, but you also have to know when to protect yourself. Yep, yep. And it's it's hard. That's a hard and, lesson you know, to learn. You, you just keep going through the same cycle over and over until you break it. That's the way everything is in yep. life. So <sighs> they, here it goes. They go there into we go. it. Shadow Weaver is stroking Catra's hair. She says she's earned his trust. How did you let this happen? Don't you see? I want you to go further than I did, but you need to be smarter than me, mm-hmm. stronger than me. And Katra pleads with her. Then help me. Come up with something so you can stay. And Shadow Weaver cups the side of her face and Katra leans into it. Mm-hmm. And Shadow Weaver says, I will try, but I'm tired now. Come back later, please. And Katra blushes and hugs herself and gets up to leave. And at the doorway, she pauses and brushes a lock of her hair back. Mm. Like she's savoring this moment of having this rare, tender connection of physical affection with her mother figure and smiles as she walks out. Yeah, she's finally getting an emotional, positive emotional connection. And it's like, yeah, and like physical comfort and tenderness. For the first time. Well, we all. And after she's gone, I know, and we're all like, oh, no. We all know how this is going to end. We all know how this is going to end. And then after she's gone, we go back into Shadow Weaver's cell, and Shadow Weaver notices the catcher has indeed left her the Sorcerer's Guild badge, mm-hmm. as requested, hidden in the food. Yep. And my last notes for this scene are all caps. Oh, Catra, all our little gay hearts are breaking for you. Why are you falling for this? I mean, I know why, but I'm still upset about it. The cycle of abuse continues. Aww. And that's it for that that's scene. That's a bummer. It's a fucking bummer. I didn't really overanalyze this until I listened to you guys doing it. But, like, I totally relate to the whole, like, this exact thing. Mm-hmm. Like, thinking your parental figure is, like, gonna be, like, good with you now. Yeah. And that, that feeling of finally it's okay. Yeah. And then, like, it falls apart later. I, I've lived that so many times. Yeah. <laughs> It's very relatable. This is, I mean, this show, one of the things that makes it so special, I think, to the queer community, aside from the fact that it has all this queer representation, is the way it handles trauma. And well, most of us have at least one mommy or daddy issue. That's fair. So now that we've left Katra in this state, now we have to flash back to Shadow Weaver at full power, back in the Fright Zone, doing her thing with the Black Garnet. Yep, so this is a little bit later, as we're we're establishing that. It's a little bit later. She's... She's in full shadow weaver drag, right? She's got her mask. She's got her little mm-hmm. her little garnet shard in her mask, right? So she's mm-hmm. shadow weaver her drag. shadow weaver drag. So she's figured out how to be shadow weaver, right? Like you know, she's figured out how to harness the power of the garnet, which is g- good for her, right? She she reached her goal. It is good she for achi- her. Exactly, yes. it's good for her. She achieved her goal. Here you go, girl. Gaslight gatekeep. Exactly. <laughs> I literally have that written. Down. Yep. <laughs> so she's just doing her thing with her with her black garnet yep. and then is that a baby crying what 
What? Where did that come from? Yes. And yes, that is Baby Adora in the arms of two baffled horde soldiers. And my note here is these two baffled horde soldiers who are me- being made to hold this baby react exactly how Phoenix would if you randomly put a crying baby in his arms. <laughs> I would just put it down. That's true. <laughs> but if Hordak made you, if Hordak was like, you have to hold this baby. I would die. You, just, you would die. <laughs> I would drop <laughs> I would just drop it and just be like, take me now. So Shadow Weaver walks in and takes in this scene and like she takes a beat like you see her like to the limited expressions that her masked face is capable of you see her taking in this baby she's like okay all right what's what's good she asks hordak if he had a successful trip Mm -hmm. yeah and he says he got he got there too late it's a little vague i found something but it's useless Uh Put it with the other orphans. Okay, so we, now we know that there are there is there are other orphans in the infirmary. Yeah, okay. kind of random. So like, does that? I, I, I took that tiny thing to to mean like, okay, so they have orphans in an infirmary, which means they just like pick up kids as they like go a conquering, and then just like. Yeah. Toss them in the infirmary in case they're injured, right? Yeah, right? Like It's not spelled out for us, but we have to assume that they the horde probably killed their parents and yeah, stole their children. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then like they were injured, so they put them in the infirmary because they didn't build a nursery yet. Like they don't have a school. I don't know. Anyway. Right. They don't have any other infrastructure right, yeah. where they could put babies. Right. So anyway, Shadow Weaver tells him this one is different. She can actually feel Baby yeah. Adora's magical power. And that's like her favorite thing is smelling powerful magic magical children. Yes. She's like she's like a truffle pig for magic. Yeah, truffle pig. But not the pig that walks down the street without a hat in the and No. Not <laughs> that very one. upset that pig did not have a hat. She's the more refined pig. Yeah, yeah. She can sniff out this baby's power. Hordak could not give less of a fuck. Right. Fine, take it. Just get it out of my sight. The guard holds out Baby Adora to Shadow Weaver by the back of the bundled blanket like a sack of right, flour. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> this is an object. Please you. take it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> baby Adora stops crying as soon as Shadow Weaver holds her, and she puts her little baby hand out to touch Shadow Weaver's hand. Oh, that is cute. Yeah, because right. you know, little Baby Adora is quite entrancing. Little baby Adora is a gullible bitch. Well, she's a baby, dude. She's, I think all babies are gullible bitches. <laughs> Listen. If you're going to frame it like that. Being a baby is no excuse for being stupid. <laughs> anyway, so Shadow Weaver is taken in this baby and she gives a little gasp yep. and then she croons to the baby the same line she said all those years ago to Micah. Oh, don't worry, little one. We're going to do great things together. And I just have on my notes. Ah... Uh... Ah, uh, ah! Uh. All good points. <laughs> Very good points. I Thank honestly, you. I didn't catch that it was a, a repeat line because I only watched the episode once because I'm awful. That's okay. It's not your job to to ferret out every tiny detail. Anyway, so at the end of this scene, we have like a two second flip back to present Shadow Weaver in her cracked mask, yep. saying, "It's time. It is time." Because the moons are in alignment. Yes. yes. And then we have we have a single shot of the Fright Zone exterior with the three moons in alignment. Mm-hmm. And then we go back to Shadow Weaver's cell where she crushes up her guild badge on the floor and uses the magic dust to make a casting. No. And we don't see what happens because she's enveloped in a cloud of purple smoke. And then outside the cell, we see Katra. She takes a deep breath and smiles like she's preparing to have to step into a new kind of interaction with Shadow Weaver. She's ready to do the work. 
She goes in and begins brightly talking about which, <sighs> brightly talking to what she thinks is Shadow Weaver, suggesting they brainstorm together to figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. Two devious minds like ours. Aww. Heartbreak. Because she's, oh, she's accepting what Shadow Weaver said. Oh, no. Yeah. But she quickly realizes that this is not Shadow Weaver. This is just an illusion. Oh. That Shadow Weaver has escaped and was just using her all along because of course she was. We see the Duh. most painful. Yeah. Like one of the most this painful is on moments par in the series. With her breaking the bed after Adora left yeah, her. Yeah. Yeah. This is just like pure, unmitigated, sad rage. Yeah. And Aww. just like she does the thing she like she punches the floor. Like yeah. like that could break yep. her damn hand. And she doesn't. So, you know, Katra really has one of these scenes like once per season yeah, where well. she like loses a quote unquote friend and then has a breakdown about it. Yeah. In season one, it's Adora. In season right. two, it's Shadow Weaver. In season three, it's Entrapta. And in season four, it's Scorpia. And like every time, it's and her, her greatest yeah. fear is abandonment. Right, right. And it Same. just keeps happening and her psyche devolves every time it happens. Yeah. That's right. Hmm. So yeah, we see her have this awful breakdown screaming, crying, punching the ground, and then fade back to that same exterior shot of the three moons aligned over the fright zone. We keep going back to that shot. Yeah, but now we have our weird tacked on scene, right? Yes. So now, like, yes we yes. did skip something that I just want to mention oh, briefly. What? So Katra slashes the Shadow Weaver illusion with her claws and destroys it. Canonically, and more than once, Katra can destroy illusion magic with her claws. Oh, there's your door. You're welcome. Yeah. So we're on our last scene. Super, super quick. This is nothing but exposition. Yeah, it's like, remember, kids, we're still on the She-Ra show with yeah. she Remember, <laughs> these are also characters. And, and I'm also here, right? Like, <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> Me in this last 30 minutes. <laughs> but we also got, <laughs> we also get this tiny bit of exposition. Yeah, which is Bo good. That now has this new signal that he's gotten on his tracker pad that it wasn't broken. It was actually just a degraded old signal. And now that these three moons are aligned, the signal is stronger if he just gets his best friends up on the roof with these, you know, wacky 1950s antennas. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? They can get the this transmission. And so they finally do get it after a tiny bit of shenanery. And uh, a, it's still degraded, but Adora is able to make out three words, which are Serenia, Portal, and Mara. <gasps> what is that? We don't know what Serenia means. But Glimmer says, if it has to do with Mara, it can't be good. <gasps> and that what? is the end of this marathon four and a half hour episode. Holy <laughs> All right. So I think the final scene is important because this is an emotionally heavy episode. Yeah, we need. For sure. And it also, I mean, it's backstory and it's good, important backstory, but it really draws the trajectory away from Adora, who's the main character. Mm-hmm. So the scene, you know, inserts her back in. Mm-hmm. It sets mm-hmm. up the next episode. But more importantly, it just provides a bit of comic relief with Adora falling off the fucking building. Yeah. And like after how emotionally heavy this episode is, like they had to... They had to end it on a funny note, yeah. or it would have just been like a slog toward hell. Yeah, you know, slog toward hell. Yeah, no, hell. we could not have ended at the end of that last scene. That would have been gutting. Yeah, it would have been horrible. And yeah. we're not far enough along yet. Like 
There's some gutting episode endings in season four and five, but we're not ready for that shit. We're not yet. ready for that yeah. shit yet. Yeah, we we have I mean, to I would earn argue it. The end of season three pretty much gutted me the first time. Oh my god! Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, even that. You're right, but we're not ready for that yet. And you're right. Yeah. Um, this last scene sets up the plot for the next episode. Yep. And it you know lightens the mood, gives us some you know glimmer teleportation hijinks. And some goofball shenanigans and, you know, absolutely everything you just said. 100%. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. So, Jenny and our special guests. Hi. Hi. What did we learn today? I'm going to defer to our witch guests. What did you guys learn today? Um, Um, I learned that no matter how evil a witch is, I will still like her if she's on a TV show. (laughs) (laughs) That's a. I like that lesson. I learned that I really like to talk about gay shit, but I kind of knew that already. Hmm. I think I also learned that there's a lot more uh, overlap with real magic in this show than I originally thought there was. So Mm. that was kind of cool to learn. Yeah, awesome. Well, I learned that the four of us together are magical. Oh yeah, which is something that I already suspected. Oh yeah, I can't say that I knew it. Oh, I yeah. can say that I suspected it. And now I know it for sure. I've had the most fun. I can't wait to do another project with you guys. Yes. Like, yes. honestly, this has just been like one big cyber party for me. I know everybody's tired, but this doesn't <laughs> feel like work to me. I've had so much fun doing no, this No, this was not work at all. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us. You have been wonderful, wonderful guests. We learned a ton Thank from you. you and... Do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, plug away. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to plug my socials because I'm so over it right now. But I would absolutely love it. If you liked what you heard here, please check out our podcast, The Witch Bitches Review. We are two actual witches reviewing representations of witchcraft in media and pop culture. We're heavily covering Charmed at the moment, but we have delved into a lot of witchy movies. And we're going to do other shows and movies in the future. Um, please check us out. We are hilarious. We are educational and we are so, so gay. Yeah, we can, can, can confirm. <laughs> yes, can confirm all of the above. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Phoenix Arcana underscore. And you can follow all of our podcast social media, pla- uh, social medias at WBRcast. Yay! Yay! Well, folks, if you liked what you heard, you want to acquire ultimate power no matter what the cost. You can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast. Or you can email us all of your spells at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. Hey, hey Jenny. Hey, Matt. Did you hear it? We have a Patreon. I've heard. I've heard that we have a really, really fun Patreon. We have a really, really fun Patreon. So if you become a member of the Rebellion, you can get fantastic perks. Like, I don't know, our very own Discord server, which rules, by the way, all levels of our donations. You can join our Discord server as well as our Facebook group. You also have other levels where you can get exclusive playlists. Uh, You can do Patreon-only video hangouts with us. We have a lot of cool stuff, and we have a lot of cool stuff in the works. So you can find the link to our Patreon, as well as the link to this week's Magic Spotify playlist, Light Spinner, in our show notes, or at heyadora.gay. You know it! You know. We're never going to let you forget that our website is heyadora.gay. And remember, now more than ever, queer joy is radical.
and queer love still as ever saves the goddamn motherfucking universe. Yes! Ah! Yay! 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 Yes! Woo!